Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. And our podcast title today is Lower Pods. Well, we are going to delve into a film that is in an area that really for Zero G is a little bit unusual. Hmm. When we get into movies or television shows about life beyond the grave on this show, it's usually a fairly gory affair that involves zombies or vampires or aliens or all of the above. Mm-hmm. In this case, we've got a fantasy movie that's unusually less horrific. It's part of a larger genre about movies about the afterlife. Mm-hmm. So I can remember that one of the earliest ones that I saw in that category was a film called Here Comes Mr. Jordan, which came out in 1941. Okay. And that was a kind of a rom-com with a an afterlife aspect to it. There was a boxer in it played by Robert Montgomery, and he gets taken to heaven. Accidentally, there's a clerical error. (laughs) So they give him a second chance back on earth. You know, that kind of concept is echoed on, dare I say, through eternity. Uh, And that actually was based on a play called Heaven Can Wait. And you may know that that film has been rebooted back in 1978 with Warren Beatty in Heaven Can Wait. Mm Mm-hmm. And another film called Down to Earth in 2001, which had Chris Rock in it, all based on that play way back in the day. But there have been so many others that fall into that category, like uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Christmas uh, classic. Yes. And The Book of Life, hmm. the animated one. Okay, yep. Coco, very recent. And look, there's just billions of them in between. <laughs> yes. Take my word for it. Absolutely. Uh, And, of course, we've really taken a massively deep dive into that on Zero G with The Good Place. Mm, Oh, yes, a favourite here. Yeah. So here we are again in the same sort of vein with a film called Soul. Hmm, S-O-U-L, not (laughs) the other type. (laughs) So I would consider you a heel if you watched this and did not thoroughly enjoy it because it is an awesome film. Mm. And it can be found on Disney Plus. Yes. I was pleasantly surprised. I have to admit, I went in, I was like, Pixar usually does a solid job. Check this out. See what it's all about. I'm sure it's fine. And then I was quite charmed by it. And I found also, too, on top of that, some of the animation styles and some of the things they did, I really enjoyed and thought was quite inventive. So Pixar still surprising me um, to this day. So, yeah, it was a really nice pleasant little watch and they brought us to this (laughs) heaven's gate i should say with peter hans doctor that's d-o-c-t-e-r he's an american animator film director producer screenwriter voice actor Mm -hmm. and currently the chief creative officer of pixar now i like the direction that this film takes Mm. it's not a sequel no (laughs) 
<laughs> Let me get that out there right now. Now, Dr. And I, I keep wanting to call him Doctor because, well, you know, who knows? He was director of Monsters Incorporated. Mm, classic. Up. Ah, uh, yes. Inside Out as well. So he knows what he's doing. He's got his Pixar chops. I can see why he was tapped to get big boy pants and take over from John Lasseter at Pixar. So I kind of, I get it. Those films are all very good and very popular. <laughs> So let's cast a little light onto Sol, and by that I mean that little lamp that comes <laughs> bobbing across. Yes, <laughs> actually, I feel like Sol is a bit of a mixture of Monsters Incorporated mm-hmm. because there's a lot of heavenly procedural in this. Yes, and a little bit of their own kind of yeah, the way of things. They've got their own kind of law in this film of how things work. Yep, and a little bit also Inside Out. Mm, okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, which is an error well, on my part. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a kind of, a, again, a, a deep plunge into into the id and the meaning of life and uh, internal philosophies of characters who we will be seeing in this film. It also has a killer soundtrack, which is partly to do mm-hmm. with the subject of the story, who is Joe Gardiner, voiced by Jamie Foxx. Great choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he really is because he has quite a bit of background in music himself, mm-hmm. as well as being a, a talented voice actor and a regular actor who we've seen in so many different things. Um, what's I'm trying to think of my favourite Jamie Foxx role. Ooh, that's a great question. It is, isn't it? Possibly... Um, Django Unchained. That's a very good one. One of the roles I've enjoyed him in lately was his role in Baby Driver. That was a good one. But here he is being quite unpredictable, I thought, but playing into that older music side because, of course, he has his own discography. Okay, so he's Joe Gardner, and Joe Gardner is a a jazz pianist. Mm. Now, he's really good at it, Mm, mm, mm. like gig worthy. Yeah. You put him on stage with with practically anyone. There's only one problem. That's not his real job. He's a middle school teacher. And in the United States of America, that means he's pretty desperate to get tenure. Mm. Um, Health insurance. Health benefit. Yeah, all of that sort of stuff. You could say that his soul is not really in the teaching. Mm -hmm. Although he's really good at that too. Yes, we do get hints that he's actually very good at that job, but it's not what he envisioned for himself and it's not what he thinks his purpose in life is. So that's his day job, teacher. Mm-hmm. His nighttime job and sometimes weekends is playing on stage. Now, he's been playing in cafes and taverns and probably even at Cheers. <laughs> actually, this this one takes place in New York. Mm, yeah. I, you can't really guess that until you see the elevated, the L railway. Then you go, yeah, it's New York. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's say that something happens to poor old Joe Gardiner. Mm, no real spoiler uh, there. It, it's not a spoiler. He gets killed, basically. This is quite tragic for all concerned, especially Joe, who feels like he's got some more things to do on Earth before he goes to the great beyond. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What he didn't count upon was ending up becoming a teacher to another soul, mm. one who's called 22. 
And 22 is voiced by Tina Fey, <laughs> which works terrifically. Yeah. And you know what? Whenever she plays these sort of younger roles, she really goes into it all in. And I have difficulty envisioning the character as the older Tina Fey. Mm, Yeah, she does a really great job of the voice in this because I think they sort of mention that as well. It's like, oh, you sound like an old white lady. (laughs) But she does, her comic voice timing is fantastic. And I agree, she plays it in this real kind of, it fits the character, even though at first you're kind of like, she voices that thing, but it works. She makes it work. (laughs) I think that Fox and Fey... (laughs) Which sounds like a great name, actually, to come come to think of it, for either a band or else for a pub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they actually have great chemistry in this. I feel like the master-student relationship is turned on its head and played with and they get every inch of comedy out of it that they possibly can. Yeah. There is another character in this who deserves mention, and it's a cat. Oh, yes. (laughs) Now, we won't tell you exactly what part the cat plays in this, but feline friends will be chuckling over this character (laughs) knowingly and with long-suffering tolerance. (laughs) (laughs) And, And, you know, I mean, what's an animated movie without an animal sidekick? Totally. I think all the pieces were here. Like, I was like, yep, this is all working for me. I wouldn't see this whole plot out of place in a Miyazaki movie of sorts. Yeah, that's true, actually. Maybe with a little bit more weird, quirky stuff or like a dark edge, Miyazaki films generally have some of that in it. And this is played pretty straight down the line, twee. The messaging is quite clear. I think, the, like I said, the animation is fantastic. Like some of the, the great before, great beyond animation and those scenes are some of my favourite, in fact. And... But aside from, you know, it looking fantastic, it doesn't really veer very dark. Um, well, let's have a track because this is a a movie that is very much about music, mm. about how transcendent music can be mm. and about music as transcendence. So here's a track by John Batiste, and this is from the Soul OST, mm-hmm. and it's got this beautiful title. It's Celestial Spaces in Blue. This is J.G. Hertzler, General Martok from Deep Space Nine, and this is Zero G on 3 R FM. Today is a good day to listen. Celestial Spaces in Blue by John Batiste from Seoul. <laughs> I love a bit of jazz that just clears my sinuses out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that one does. All right, we've talked about the two main characters, or the three, if you throw in the cat, mm-hmm. in the movie Soul. And now we want to move on to some of the other cast members, which is to say the voice cast members of this Pixar film, which is on Disney+, Plus. Mm-hmm. just in case you missed our opening there. Graham Norton. Yeah. (laughs) Did you recognise his voice or did you know that he was in it? As soon as I heard his voice, I said, that's Graham Norton. (laughs) Yeah. Having a lot of fun here. Indeed. And I would love to hear him talk about this, about how he got this gig Mm. in in the red chair on his own show. 
<laughs> the famous storytelling chair where you get dumped if you don't meet the standards. <laughs> he plays Moonwind, mm. an astral traveller. I almost said an astral glamourer. <laughs> Have it. Yeah, you know, honour of Joe Brunatic's show that airs after Zero G. Now, Norton is great in this, and it's just confusing to me to try and pick his voice with the look of the character. Yeah, I will say that sometimes the character leans a little towards sort of maybe the real-life voice holder, but this character is a bit more far out than Graham Norton's. Because Soul is partly about the afterlife, Mm. you know, you know that you're going to run into a few mentors and spiritual guides. And I'm not really sure why you'd have Graham Norton doing that. (laughs) Well, he's more sort of a bit of a guide for those who've lost their way, which I thought was kind of nice. Mm. Yeah, and this is actually not really a, a spoiler. I suppose it is in a way. But their explanation for what souls are who've lost their way is really touching, mm. and I found that quite moving because it could apply to geeks on so many levels, <laughs> the way they explain it. And so I thought, oh, they're talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> Other characters in this are played by people like Alice Braga, Richard Ayoda, and mm. also Wes Studi from The Mystery <laughs> Men and Last of the Mohicans. <laughs> Oh, what a strange cast this one is. Oh, Angela Bassett plays Dorothea Williams, the legendary jazz musician in this movie. And I didn't pick him, but once I I knew that he was there, David Diggs. Yeah, I knew he was in this and I picked his voice immediately as soon as his character. And that was what you said before. I totally agree. It's a really eclectic, diverse cast. I think it's fantastic. And, yeah, gets all kinds of fun voices. I think Rachel House is one of the voices as well, and we know her. She's a New Zealand actor, and she was in, like, Thor Ragnarok and things like that. Oh, and Hunt for the Wilder People. Yes, yeah. So <laughs> as soon as that voice popped up, I'm like, that's an actual New Zealander. Who is that? And I looked it up. And, yeah, just some great voices in here. Like, it is a very simple story in some ways, and we do spend a lot of our time with Fox and Faye, but yes, great characters and voices popping up all over the place throughout this film, which was a real treat. Let's go with a track here from the Soul OST, and this is Christo Redentor, and again, it's by John Batiste. Hello, Nimrods. <laughs> this is Master Shake from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. And I'm Meatwad, the key member of Aqua Teen Hunger Force. And guess what? You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM, Australia's only real classic rock, right? You do classic rock I here, right? I thought this was easy listening. Ah, uh, whatever. Hey, don't matter. I'll talk all the time. What but with music? 3 Triple R FM. And no one will defeat the Quad Laser. Yeah, there we had Joe Batiste with a track called Cristo Redentor, which is a lot more ponderous than it comes out over the speakers. From the soundtrack of Soul, a movie on Disney+, Plus, we're discussing here today on Zero G. Yeah, now we've talked about some of the characters and the actors who play them, very many familiar faces and voices mm-hmm. in the film. And now let's get on to some of the more meaty discussion here. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, no, I'm not going to get all doctrinal 
and theological about it because, I mean, me? (laughs) Okay, procedural, their creation of heaven, the great beyond in this movie. I thought it was excellent. If there was a heaven, that would be a pretty good place to go, the way they've got it set up there. At least the bit where uh, they're assigning new souls to Earth. Mm -hmm. Mm, was that the, the before portion? The before portion, yeah. The Great Beyond actually looks a bit like a, a mosquito zapper. <laughs> yeah. I actually kind of like that. I think they deliberately made it a bit amorphous and a little bit um, not super specific just to make it very appealing to people of all different kinds of beliefs as much as possible, as you can with a film like this. So, yeah, but like I said before, yeah, The Great Before – The animation there was fantastic, very soothing, and it just seemed it was just a really fun depiction. Yeah, the backgrounds, this is two things. There's the physical animation and the background, and, of course, it's a CGI movie in its own sort of way. So there are things in there that that really were quite amazing. The style of the animation, it was fluidly graceful when it needed to be and awkwardly gawky by sharp elbowed and knees knocking turns Mm. Um, things like hands on the keyboards playing the piano and they're really mapped as well so if sort of we're talking a little bit about the animation i think there was they made a lot of effort to make sure that the animation of the playing of music was authentic to the music that was actually that you could hear and I think that's such an attention to detail that's if you're going to make a film about music and it's animated what a great way to just make sure you're really respectful of that performance aspect and that the playing is real and looks real I thought that was very cool and I think it shows there's quite a few things that sort of the production team of Soul have done to make sure that they've done this process right so we might talk a bit about that later but yeah I think they've really gone to pains to make sure that this has been built in a really respectful and, I don't know, cool way. There was one unrealistic thing about it that I noticed right off. They've got a cat in the story and at no stage does the cat jump up on the keyboard. (laughs) Yeah, at an inopportune moment. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's just total fantasy right there. (laughs) It's got to be some element of, you know, make-believe in the film. Yes. (laughs) When we were talking about respect, how respectful they were to African-American culture, Mm. because this is jazz and the character is Mm African-American and voiced by Jamie Foxx, of course. And they also took great pains to, I don't want to say get that right, but to be sensitive about it and actually make sure that it all was logical and and culturally appropriate. Yeah, so I think that's the key thing is like what I really appreciated when I was digging into the film is that it wasn't a white director and a bunch of white people making a film about something that is quintessentially a huge part of black history and black culture, that there was effort made to include, they gathered sort of a bit of a um, consultants, including Herbie Hancock, Quincy Jones, John Batiste, who has been doing the the jazz pieces that we've been listening to, and talk to some of the stars like Questlove and David Diggs and so on, and Jamie Foxx himself, to make sure that they were portraying everything correctly and respectfully and getting the input of people who had a lived experience. And I think that is when you're trying to do it right. Like, I think they wanted to make this film and originally they had a different concept for it was going to be about science or something that would be, and then they changed it to music and they wanted to do jazz. And in, and so 
wanting to do that, they went, okay, well, we need to do these things to make sure that we can build a film that is respectful and a film that includes people who are of this culture. And I think that's where they've pulled in the co-director who helped with some of that and so on. So that I really appreciated that. And I think that that is a good example of, you know, just trying to not be a tool when you make films and just assume you can make them about whatever. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Cause yeah. Anyway, that's my rant about that. I thought that was yeah. a really good touch. Mm. Well, you know, as Neil Gaiman says, political correctness just means being nice to people. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't have any problem with that. Oh, and speaking of digging it, David Diggs does actually sing on the soundtrack. Oh, does he? He did the rap in it. Oh, we do love a bit of David. (laughs) And we do have that here, which is called Rappin' Said, C-E-D that is, and it is from the soundtrack of Soul. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. <laughs> ah, David Diggs there, rapping said from the soundtrack of Soul. <laughs> I'd like to see him bust some of those moves out on the Snowpiercer. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of a mood changer. <laughs> he does actually bust those moves in Hamilton, though. Oh, so. doesn't he? Does he ever? <laughs> <laughs> so it's no problem at all. Oh, speaking of Snowpiercer, just to take sideline here for a moment from our discussion about Soul, the second season of Snowpiercer has dropped on Ooh. yeah on Netflix. So what a sneaky surprise! Yeah, and it's very cool. Mm. Well, I suppose that's the operative word in there. All right, now back to Soul. We were chatting about the procedural and the type of artwork that they had. The backgrounds are stunningly detailed. Mm. Um, Just little things like the marble subway steps that they walk down at one stage are all worn into curves by usage. Yeah. You know, the detailed gig posters in the music room in in the middle school that Joey inhabits. And there's a lot of Easter eggs and all that sort of stuff too, if you care to pause. But at, at stages, I was looking at the streetscapes under the L in New York City, and I was thinking, that is so cool. I just actually want to just pause at the movie mm. and just, just have a good look at it all. Yeah. Which, yep. of course, you can do. Yeah, so, those real-world animations, some of them were just stunning. Mm. And then we flick over to the, the great before and, and the animation of the, mm. the characters there, the stylized sort of very cool swinging 60s animation. Yeah, very abstract, very inspired by kind of, yeah, more an artistic 2D type animation style sometimes even, even though yeah. there's a bit a lot of depth happening there too and then you've got the cute souls and there's a lot happening. It was, I think it's really nicely done. Mm. And the metaphors in this, there's a line where they said, you can't crush a soul here in the the beyond. That's what life on earth is for. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. You know, if you're any kind of creative, and let's face it, every human being really is, mm. there's a sequence in here that is as much as a tearjerker as the life and death and the whole damn marriage thing vignette in the Pixar film Up. <laughs> you know the, the vignette I mean? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that romantic sort of tragedy. Oh, <laughs> and there's a scene in Soul that just got me going. I'm thinking, oh, my God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think this is a film that would bear repeated watching. Mm. Get more out of it, yeah. 
And it all comes together, sometimes in the strangest little scenes, like they're sitting on steps in a street having a conversation, a, a DM conversation, and the autumnal light is playing on them, the mottled sunlight through the trees, and there are seed pods helicoptering down oh, from the yeah. tree. And, and you just go, ah, mm. you know? And you know that it's a good animated film when you get something like that. Mm. Yeah. I think the ratios were all perfect. It was a lovely mix of the jazz didn't drag on. They didn't make it overly about the music, but they included enough for it to be lovely. They did enough time in the great before. They had enough time of, you know, someone learning the life lesson that we're going on the journey of for the film and then kind of wrapped it up in a way that I thought was really nice. I think it's a simple film in some ways, but it's done very well. It may be the best of these afterlife films that I've ever seen. Yeah, oh. I feel I feel so. You know, I mean, I'm looking at it and thinking oh. it's 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 damn near perfect. I'd be I'd be nitpicking if I had a go. Mm. You know, maybe a little bit ambiguous at the end, but I kind of like that because it left me thinking about what were they really really getting at. So I started examining myself, looking at my own purpose. <laughs> Yeah, there's so many little nuggets here and little ideas and honestly, like I said before, and I mean I've said it a few times, but some of the animation stuff I just thought was really cool and just as an enjoyable time for an hour and a half or however long it was. Well, there's no real concepts in this that would uh, trouble a child too much, I would think. So, you know, this is one of those animated movies that I think kids could watch with a little bit of guidance. Yeah, maybe be ready to have a few discussions because it probably there's a couple of big ideas, uh, but, I mean, nothing that kids don't need to learn about eventually anyway, I guess. So in terms of the zero-G, yeah, nah, maybe rating scale, where would you place it, Megan? Mine's a yeah, and I think that's also because I had not very many expectations for it. Not that I thought it would be bad, but I was like, oh, yeah, check it out. And I was pleasantly surprised. So for me, it's a yeah. I think it's a lovely film. I think it is a great watch for kids. And I got a lot out of it as an adult. <laughs> and I think the message is nice as well. I think it wasn't too heavy handed for a Pixar animated film. And it was a nice message. I, I do agree with it. Yeah. So it's a yeah. And I think yours is definitely a leaning on the side of yeah. Well, I was going to use a profanity, but in the context of the film, I don't want any portals to open up and drag me into them. <laughs> so I will say it's an H-E-L-L, yeah. H-E double hockey sticks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's Soul. It's on Disney+. Plus. I think there may be a short film kicking around as well. There is, yeah. I can't remember what that one's called, but they did do an accompanying film because it was obviously because of – the state of the world, it was ended up being released on streaming and it did go into theatres in countries that didn't have Disney Plus, but there was some additional material they made and so on. So I would check that out. So let's segue from that with a piece by John Batiste and it is born to play, again, from the Soul original soundtrack album, which is one of those albums that you can tell stands alone by itself as well. Mm. <laughs> Hello, I'm Peter Hamilton, author of the Nightstorm Trilogy and the Greg Mandel science fiction novels. When I'm down under, Rob Jan lets me fly the Starship Zero-G on 3 triple RFM. Actually, just between you and me, food's not all that good and the cabins are a little on the cramped side, but hey, I cut my teeth on science fiction conventions so I can't complain. Actually, I want to complain, but Rob won't let me the black-hearted tyrant. But 
say, you say, Mr. Hamilton, this is mutiny. Back in your boxer, I'll have you keel-hauled without a spacesuit. Hi, Captain. Zero G, it doesn't get any better. It just gets over. Yeah, cats. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Batiste, we've born to play from Soul, the soundtrack album, one of the soundtrack albums. Yes. So in addition to the great jazz tracks and the jazz music that's included in the film, I did just want to shout out and mention that there's other scoring that is done by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And I always love hearing their scores. And there was a particular scene in the film where I was like, oh, yeah, that's them. That's their score. Because they've got a very distinct style, of course. You'd probably know them from they've done a lot of work with David Fincher. They did the score for the Watchmen series, so on and so forth. I thought that was a weird choice at first when I saw them on the list of music before I'd watched the film, but it kind of made sense where they had placed bits of that score and I thought it worked nicely. So, yeah, I just thought I'd shout that out as well and that's in addition to the music that John Batiste composed for the film. Now, that is, of course, on Disney Plus, Soul, but also WandaVision. Mm, Yes. Episode four and five, you know, they're well into it now. Mm. Episode four, Boom. Yes. We start to pivot a little and get some of the answers we were seeking, but not without dredging up a million more questions to boot. (laughs) So I thought that was a really nice touch point where we can reflect on some of the things we've seen and then start to go, okay, well, what's this all about? (laughs) Yeah. Boom. Or or maybe I should say snap. But wow, we we see how it all fits into the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, yeah. And my gosh, this is the first of the the MCU television studios series made in house. Yes. Wow, you know, I mean, the Netflix ones and Agents of Shield and Agent Carter, they do lean into it, mm. into the whole MCU themes and tropes and details and references, but nothing like this one. Well, I think this has definitely made me realise their vision for the series. Like obviously we know on an intellectual level what their vision for the series is, but I've realised, oh, no, it is going to be just as embedded and just as kind of part of that big quilt of the MCU that we've seen as any of the films. It's kind of, it's to the side, but it is firmly still adding to this big picture that we're building. And yeah, it really became clear that we're not just a throwaway mention of the Avengers. It's, it's really a core part of, of the phase of the next phase that we're doing. So that was pretty cool. And you said vision for the series without cracking a smile. (laughs) Didn't even (laughs) realise. But absolutely. And that's the thing. I think I'm getting even more excited now about the other series that they've got lined up, Falcon and Winter Soldier and the Loki series. So very keen. And I I really love their special guest star. Mm-hmm. In that one. I thought you would. I actually, I thought you would. And used very well, I would say. And also an expert in sitcoms. Yeah, which ah. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, loving that show and I'm very stoked for the next episode. So I'm so glad that it's working out all right. I was worried. <laughs> I've watched a few interviews with them, though, um, both Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen, and they said they both had such a fun time working on it and they really liked 
the whole idea and what was planned for it and just really played it up. And I think that's a good sign when the actors actually enjoyed making it and are on board with where it's going for the characters and stories. So my hopes are cautiously high. Hey, speaking of the MCU, Jensen Ackles was trying out for uh, the role of Captain America originally. Oh, that went to Chris Evans, and he actually would have made a pretty good cap, I think. Interesting. I can see it, you know. Mm. Well, I don't have to imagine it anymore because he's been cast in The Boys. Oh, cool. Playing the role of Soldier Boy, who is, of course, a gotcha. a, a clone of Captain America in certain mm-hmm, respects, mm-hmm. Um, only a dumber and more uh, <laughs> <laughs> and probably more lethal version in, in The Boys. So I'm looking forward to see that so, because that's kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, all these rumours flying around, you know. Yeah. What was the best rumour I heard this week? RDJ and the Mandalorian. Oh, <laughs> oh you'd freak. I would. Like, you know, he'd raise, he, he'd raise that helmet up and say, it's true, I am Iron Mandalorian. <laughs> but that's just a rumour, you know. Now, something a bit more solid. In in some respects, at least, is Star Trek Lower Decks, mm-hmm. which is on Amazon Prime, and you know Star Trek goes back to the nineteen sixties, back to its uh, premiere back on September the eighth in nineteen sixty six. Oh. Original series it went for three seasons, mm-hmm. nine spin off television series later. Oh wow. And, and massive numbers of films as well, including the original movie series, which segued into Next Generation movies, and then, of course, J.J. Abrams movies. Mm-hmm. It is a phenomenon, the equivalent of Doctor Who or Star Wars. And, you know, those those three things are just as big in the pop culture mythology as Robin Hood and King Arthur and Tarzan and Sherlock Absolutely. Holmes. Absolutely, yeah. You know, so here we are, another Star Trek series. <laughs> Technically speaking, the second animated series that they've done, Mm -hmm. it is an adult comedy series. Make no mistakes about that. It's probably at the same level as American Dad or Family Guy. Okay. All right. Yep. So so if you do let your kids watch it, you're going to have to watch it with them Mm -hmm. to provide a little bit of guidance. Or or not if you're an irresponsible parent. (laughs) (laughs) True. Yeah, true. Okay, so this is by writer Mike McMahon, who was Rick and Morty's leading light. I see. So, okay, I'm getting more of an idea about the yeah. uh, tone of this one. <laughs> Enough said. He also did one called Solar Opposites. Oh. So <laughs> that one had a, a family of aliens who come from a, a nicer place than Earth, mm-hmm. and they had to hide out in the USA. And they're not really sure whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. (laughs) So, okay, this has quite a few people to do with it who know their Star Trek, including executive producers Alex Kurtzman Um, and Rod Roddenberry. Oh, interesting. One of the the eggs of the great bird of the galaxy. (laughs) Lower Decks, it is (laughs) – 
not to be confused with the 167th episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, which aired in the seventh season of that show back in 1994, but had a similar premise. Okay. Because it is about the ensigns and other pond scum who inhabit the lower decks of a Federation starship. Now, this is set about a year after the Star Trek Next Generation movie, Mm -hmm. Star Trek Nemesis. Okay. And boy, do they really lean into that whole continuity thing in this. In fact, if you're a certain sort of continuity wonk and were only interested in Star Trek continuity, which sounds like it should be like a starship, the USS continuity, (laughs) you actually would probably think that this was way better in those limited terms, and they are limited, mm-hmm. than Enterprise or Discovery or the J.J. Abrams movies because it is so referential. Mm-hmm. There are enough Easter eggs to sink an Easter bunny. Ah, okay. So we're just it's firmly carrying on from the exact spot in Star Trek history where it wants to carry on from. Yes. In fact, it is Spock on in all of its references. Okay. It stars Tawny Newsom voicing the character of Beckett Mariner, who is aboard the USS Cerritos, and she's actually the daughter of the captain. But nobody but the captain and her know this. Okay, interesting. Yes, there's a lot of friction between her and her mum. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, watch out. Now, Tawny is a great actress and she's been uh, in bajillion dollar properties oh. and she was also co-starring in Space Force. Oh, okay. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So, and she's also a singer. So she's got a great voice for doing this sorts of thing mm-hmm. and she's very <laughs> irritating. She speaks at Warp Factor 9 <laughs> throughout this whole thing. And she's like essentially a loose phaser cannon on the deck of the Cerritos. Nevertheless, she has a great deal of experience Mm. and working outside of the system and breaking the rules, which means that she does get into a lot of trouble, but also gets people out of trouble too. Now, her offsider is Ensign Brad Boimler, played by Jack Quaid. And yes, he is the son of... Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan. We saw him minorly in the Hunger Games. And also we know him as Huey Campbell in The Boys. Mm -hmm. So major role in that. And here he's voicing the character of a nervous but ambitious ensign who's absolutely appalled by Mariner's shenanigans aboard Uh, the ship. I see. So, that, look, there are a whole cast of other people in this. There is a – and I, I commented upon this when we were watching um, Monster Hunter because mm-hmm. there's a similar trope in that there's a ship's cat who is actually the doctor of the ship. <laughs> you know, like the old cat that's really a curmudgeon with a, a chewed ear and oh, ragged yeah. yep. whiskers and a manner that's like so crusty. <laughs> So, yeah, there's a lot of other people in here. Sam Rutherford is a sort of a cyborg character voiced by Eugene Corridero, and we've seen him before in Other Space. They seem to have gotten a few people from Bajillion Dollar Properties because he worked on that too, but he was also in Kong Skull Island. 
and he's kind of an engineering uh, ensign in this. Probably the voice actors that I know, knew the most before this one was uh, Jerry O'Connell from Sliders. Oh, yeah. Playing an over-the-top paragon of a first officer, Jack Ransom. And we also have Fred Tataskio playing the security officer who's a Bajoran um, officer aboard the Cerritos. And he's like this gung-ho space marine, essentially, full on. But we've heard him in so many Marvel animated series, uh, like, oh, just Avengers and um, Hulk, and where he has played Hulk and Juggernaut Mm. and Beast and 60,000 other gruff voice characters. (laughs) So, yeah, great cast in there for the show Star Trek Lower Decks, which has all of the tropes, all of them, so many tropes. <laughs> and it's like a comedy, yeah? So it, the tone, is it like a 20-minute comedy vibe, like animated, or is it more of a drama? No. Unlike the first Star Trek animated series back in the 1970s, this is full-on comedy. Right. Okay. So it's just a fun little extra take, something bonus that's yes. really respectful. Okay. Yeah, I think well, I, I don't know. Actually, they send up Star Trek throughout this, oh. uh, both both with their dialogue and their music. Oh, you know, like there's a fly around when um, one of the starships is is launching in this that takes like ten minutes, and it's a clear parody of the fly around of the Enterprise in Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Okay, music and all. There are zombies in this oh. giant flesh eating spiders. Old style Ferengi from Next Generation era, trials by combat, send ups of fulfillment warehouse management practices. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and time and motion uh, procedures. Nice. There is so many in this first 10 episodes that I lost track. Now, the Cerritos is um, a second contact ship. Mm hmm. So not only is it about the lower people, the little people aboard the ship, mostly, they're also on the ship that gets the second rung assignments. Yeah, the understudy of the understudy. (laughs) Yeah, like they're the ones who go in and do the paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) The cleanup crew. (laughs) The cleanup crew, yeah. And they really hate that too because there's episodes that call back to classic Trek stories where they go to the planet that the – that uh, Kirk and company have been to before. And when they show a picture from that on their view screen, it's a picture from the old, an animation cell from the old Star Trek animated series. Ah, Really leaning into it, you know, and you will find so many Easter eggs in it. Things that I would swear that nobody would put into a show like, Back in the uh, the 60s or the 70s, there was a toy space helmet that was billed as Mr. Spock's space helmet. Oh. And it had a big flashing light on the top. And, you know, it was, just, it was just silly stuff. But they, that appears in this episode in one. And I'm thinking, that is such a deep cut. Mm. You know, so fans of Next Generation in particular may well appreciate a lot of the stuff in this, but there's everything for everybody else all the way along including, oh, look, I won't spoil it with telling you who the guest stars are, but let's just say that they've done a bit of a Picard in this one, oh. as, and I mean the TV series, and they've got people in here from other Star Trek shows. Yay. And they slide right in. They plug right in seamlessly to the continuity for these particular characters. And I think, okay. oh, my God. <laughs> so just as the animated series originally in the 1970s was kind of like, two years of the five-year mission, 
of mm-hmm. Kirk's Enterprise. This feels like a, a continuation of Next Generation. Wow. Yeah, so a lot of fun with this. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll give you a bit of their soundtrack for the main title theme, which is by Chris Westlake. And really, they've gone all out with this to make it look like a pastiche of all the Star Treks, only a little more cowardly. (laughs) Hi, this is Scott Bakula. Welcome aboard Zero G on free Triple R FM. Not so boldly going there with Chris (laughs) Westlake's theme for Star Trek Lower Decks and now on Amazon Prime. And it's 10 episodes of an animated series that I actually found delightful. I'd just come (laughs) warping out of Discovery Season 3. I was stoked for some more Star Trek. And here we have it with a new animated series. Well, that's about it for Zero G for today. Uh, We're going to go out with a track that combines David Bowie Mm -hmm. and jazz. Nice. Which is not that big a, a stretch, really, because there's so much of Bowie's music that, you know, owes so much to jazz. And in this case, I thought I'd play – this is a cover version by Grazia Dieu, mm-hmm. and it's David Bowie in jazz, a jazz tribute. So until next week, thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster. Coming up next is Joe Brunatic with – Astral Glamour. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.